I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone-chilling stories with your host, Jamie Jackson. Welcome to this week's episode and part two of the Alaska Triangle. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, which was part one of the Alaska Triangle, make sure you go back and listen to that one first. To recap, Alaska is home to a triangular shaped area between the towns of Barrow, Juneau, and Anchorage that is the site of many strange phenomena. 16,000 people have gone missing in the Alaska Triangle. The area is a vast, unpopulated wilderness with some seriously unforgiving terrain and wildlife like bears, moose, and caribou. And there's some other strange wildlife lurking in the wilds of the Alaskan Triangle. And that is what we're going to be focusing on for this episode. Last week we touched on the UFOs, underground alien bases, portals, and vortexes. But UFOs and underground alien bases aren't the only strange things in Alaska. And bears and moose aren't necessarily the most deadly creatures. And yes, moose actually can be more dangerous than a bear. Legends of strange animals, or monsters if you will, go back to ancient times and the history of the indigenous tribes of the area. One such creature is the giant thunderbird. In native legends, giant flying creatures preyed on whales and moose. The Thunderbird, with a wingspan similar to a small airplane, has always been a part of the native history. I've mentioned before that when looking at strange creatures, I'm always interested in what the indigenous people have to say about the creature. If it's something that appears in their history and in their drawings, it adds a lot of credence to the claim that such a creature exists. Native people do not draw things that they have not actually encountered. So for something to be part of native history, it's with a high degree of certainty that the creature existed. So this giant bird, called a thunderbird, was known to prey on moose, caribou, and even beluga whales. Beluga whales are the white whales. They're also called sea canaries because of the way they communicate. Little piece of useless information to throw in there for you. The Thunderbird would swoop down and kill people as well. Its name came from the thunderous sound of its wings. The natives thought that the Thunderbird was able to control the weather and it was considered a sacred and powerful being. But the Thunderbird isn't just an ancient native being, it's still seen in modern times. In 2002, a pilot and his passengers were flying at around a thousand feet when they saw a large bird that was the same size as the plane with a 35-foot wingspan. Another person on the ground saw the same bird and contacted the authorities to warn people to stay indoors. June 2005, a man on a road trip was looking out the window when he saw a bird in the valley with a 20-25-foot to 25 foot wingspan or roughly twice the size of the California condor, which is the largest known living bird. Another account comes from a man out hunting rabbits. I'm hunting wabbits. 
He saw something strange on a hill and looked through his scope to try to see what the thing was. He couldn't quite make out what the creature was until it eventually spread its wings and took off. As a hunter from the area, he was well versed in the wildlife and birds, and he had never seen anything quite like it before. He estimated that the wingspan was around 50 feet. The giant bird seemed to be attempting to get a nearby caribou, but the caribou, sensing danger, ran into the cover of the trees and stayed there. A professor from the University of Alaska believes that the creature people are seeing could be considered a living relic, which, simply put, is a creature thought to be extinct that has survived into present times. Specifically, he believes it could be a pteratorn. Pteratorns are an extinct family of very large birds of prey that lived in North and South America. They include some of the largest known flying birds. This professor believes these birds, thought to have gone extinct around 11,000 years ago, might still be around. It certainly fits some of the descriptions of Thunderbirds. Alaska is full of strange creatures, and we'll get to some of the other slightly scary ones in a moment. In Alaska, there has also been some strange incidents involving animals. There are reports of dead seabirds washing ashore, large numbers of whales beaching themselves and dying, and a large number of seals that were found dead and hairless. And yes, seals have hair, they're mammals, so they do have hair. But in my opinion, the strangest thing was the time that vampire fish fell from the sky in Fairbanks, Alaska, smack in the middle of the Alaska Triangle, without explanation. That's right, I said vampire fish. I'm actually talking about the Arctic lamprey, which is eel-like in appearance, though it is a fish, and instead of a typical mouth, it has this circular mouth with rows of sharp teeth that they use to bite and suction onto fish and suck their blood. Vampire fish. So in 2015, these fish, about 15 inches long, started showing up around Fairbanks, having fallen from the sky. The Fish and Game Department explained it away by saying they were dropped by seagulls. I don't really know about that. It seems strange that you'd have several of the same type of fish that isn't really seen a whole lot suddenly fall from the sky in a city, and it's blamed on seagulls. I don't know. It seems fishy. And I'll tell you, lampreys remind me of an X-Files episode. If you're an X-File, the term for a fan of the show, you might know what I'm talking about. It was Season 2, Episode 2, called The Host, and it featured a creature called Fluke Man. The creature's mouth reminded me of a lamprey. Creeps me the hell out. Lamprey or vampire fish aren't the only things lurking in the waters of Alaska, however. Within the Alaska Triangle is a body of water called Lake Iliamna. Lake Iliamna is the largest lake in Alaska and the third largest lake in the United States. It's a natural lake that is really more like an inland sea with 1,012.5 square miles or 640,000 acres of surface area. 
At its deepest, it is 988 feet deep, with an average depth of 144 feet. No roads connect the sparse communities on the lake to the surrounding areas, which means float planes are used for travel on the river. So is it a surprise that such a large, deep, isolated lake that is at a similar latitude as Scotland's Loch Ness would be home to a lake monster? The Lake Iliamna monster is described as being 10 to 30 feet in length with a squared off head. The earliest reports of the creature come from the Tlingit people who talked of a large water-dwelling animal with a head and tail similar to a wolf and the body of an orca. This creature, this creature was similar to the Akla, which was a vicious, dangerous beast that takes the form of both wolf and orca. I don't know why they say it's similar since it sounds like it's pretty much identical. I don't know how many creatures are out there with an orca body and a wolf head. I don't know. This creature was depicted as a fish god and recorded in pictographs along the Alaskan British Columbian coast. The Aleut people talk of Jigiknak, which were fish-like monsters who traveled in groups attacking canoes and killing warriors. As word of a strange creature in the lake began to circulate, curious people began flying low over Lake Iliamna to try and spot it. In 1942, Babe Aylesworth and Bill Hammersley were taking a direct flight over the lake, traveling to the village of Iliamna. Aylesworth, the bush pilot, was flying a Stinson ferry plane, crossing over the lake, and noticed unusual specks on the water near an unnamed island in the middle of the lake. When he flew closer, he saw that they were large fish. They were a dull aluminum color with broad, blunt heads. The width of the body and the width of the head were the same. The tails were vertical and moved side to side. This is important to note because sea mammals, like whales, have horizontal tails that move up and down. The original size estimate of 10 feet was low. Aylesworth said they looked more like mini-submarines than fish. In 1947, Bill Hammersley, who you'll remember was also on the plane with Aylesworth, published a short piece on the mystery fish. Afterwards, a U.S. Coast and Geologic Survey pilot came forward saying that in the fall of 1945, he saw a giant fish more than 20 feet long that was the color of dull aluminum. By the late 1950s, consistent reports were made of a large, dull aluminum colored fish seen in the lake. In 1963, a biologist reported seeing a 25 to 30 foot fish from overhead. He commented that while he was observing it, he did not see it come up for air. Missionary Chuck Crapuchet saw the creature two times in 1967. Once, while flying overhead in a float plane, he saw a large animal in the water. He attempted to call other people on the radio to get them to observe the creature as well. One friend he spoke to decided it was a good idea to go trolling for the creature. Trolling is a kind of fishing. 
the guy used a 516 stainless steel cable and put a number two tuna hook on it. The breaking strength of that particular size cable is 9,000 pounds. That means it takes 9,000 pounds of pressure to break that cable. The information said the hooks were around eight inches long. So he baits these hooks with chunks of caribou meat, throws them in, and ties them to the cleats on the end of the pontoon of the plane. Basically, it's the thing that you use to tie the plane to the dock. Is anybody else suddenly having visions of Jaws with the guys throwing the meat off the pier and Jaws comes and pulls the pier into the water? This just doesn't seem like a good idea to me. So this guy is out on the water, drifting around in his plane, trolling for water monsters. While he's sitting there chilling, the plane jerks, he gets knocked off the pontoon into the water, and his plane is towed around the lake. When he finally gets to shore and manages to recover his plane, three of the cables are gone completely. The hooks on the remaining cables had been straightened out, so there was no hook in them anymore. Imagine the size and the strength a creature must have in order to pull off a cable that can withstand 9,000 pounds or straighten out an 8-inch metal hook. Then, 1977, a veteran pilot spots a 12 to 14 foot fish on the surface before it dove down, revealing a vertical tail. The fish was dark gray or brown. In 1979, the Anchorage Daily News offered $100,000 to anyone who could provide conclusive evidence proving the monster's existence. Both 1987 and 1988 brought sightings of large blackfish in the lake. One sighting reported a white stripe down the middle of the fish. Late in the 1990s, a husband and wife were out on the lake in a boat. The wife looks over the side of the boat and screams. There were two heads looking up at the boat, about two feet long and and 18 inches wide, and they were triangular-shaped. The bodies were long, and the eyes were huge and dead black, like they were made for deep water. A deep water monster isn't really a stretch. I mean, the lake is 988 feet deep at its deepest. But the indigenous people in the area have always believed that the waterways in Alaska are linked by underground channels or tunnels that would link Lake Iliamna to the saltwater. A professor from the University of Alaska stated that the lake is on top of unstable bedrock and there could very well be cracks and openings. In case you're wondering, sightings of the monster didn't end in the 1990s. There are videos out there of strange things on the lake. One person saw multiple wakes on the lake about two feet high, indicating something big was moving through the water. And in 2016, Craig McCaw of Alaska's Bureau of Land Management filmed a strange creature approximately 20 feet long in the Chena River in Fairbanks. Locals dubbed it the Chena Chomper. Jeremy Wade, host of the show River Monsters, went in search of the Lake Iliamna monster. He ended up deciding that most people were seeing a fish called the white sturgeon which has been reported to sometimes reach the size of 20 feet. 
That episode was season two, episode four, and aired in May of 2010. I think it's pretty interesting that there are many lakes and some information stated hundreds of lakes that fall along a similar latitude as Loch Ness that all have accounts of lake monsters. But we're not done with Alaska monsters just yet. There's another interesting Alaskan cryptid. Actually, there's two more that we're going to touch upon, but the one we're going to talk about first is the Kushtaka. The Kushtaka is also known as the Otter Man, which is immensely easier to say than Kushtaka. And it's a legend of the Tlingit people. The Tlingit believe that otters are shapeshifters that look like men, but they have an evil purpose. They trap their victim's soul and prevent it from reincarnating. What happens is you'll be walking through your village or out hunting in the woods or fishing and a man or group of men approach you. They look normal and you have no clue that they're really Kushtaka. In some cases, these malevolent creatures appear when you're lost or injured and they claim that they intend to rescue you. Instead, they lead you deeper into the wilderness and either tear you to pieces or turn you into a Kushtaka, which prevents your soul from being reincarnated. Groups of Kushtaka are especially dangerous. I'm sorry, but if you're out in the woods and a group of men show up, yeah, that's not good. Kushtaka sometimes try to lure you towards them by screaming or making noises that sound like women or children in distress. And once they see you coming, you'll never escape. Curious though, they do have an Achilles heel. They are terrified of dogs. So make sure you take your dog with you if you're out in the Alaska Triangle because it'll prevent the Kushtaka from coming and tearing you limb from limb and turning you into one of them and preventing your soul from being able to be reincarnated. Just one more reason why dogs are man's best friend. So these Kushtaka are large, hairy, and humanoid with otter-like facial features. If Bigfoot and an otter had a baby, it would be a Kushtaka. They are considered more demon-like. They stand at around four feet tall and they have long claws. In 1925, a fur trapper in the area noticed that his dog was missing and went in the wilderness to look for it, but he never returned. They say he was a victim of the Kushtaka. If you've ever seen a, an otter, like a, any kind of otter, a sea otter or a river otter, I believe they are referencing sea otters here, which are even cuter. I cannot look at a sea otter and think, killer demon thing that's going to rip me to shreds. I just have a hard time with it. Alaska, of course, also has its Bigfoot encounters. Many encounters date back to before white settlers came to the area. The Bigfoot creature in Alaska has broad and muscular shoulders that are an average of 5 feet wide, and it stands between 8 to 12 feet tall. One woman was out berry picking with her dog when the dog began barking erratically. She looked over and saw a huge hairy creature 
walking away. Another encounter happened along the shores of Lake Iliamna. Shocking that the lake with the river monster would also have a monster roaming around the edge of the lake. Three people were in a canoe fishing, when one looked up and saw a tall, hairy, bipedal creature standing along the edge of the lake. It was dark-colored, nearly black, and had long hair. All three people in the canoe witnessed the creature. In 2012, a man went out to metal detect along a river. The river was unnaturally low, and he thought perhaps he'd be able to find some cool stuff in the newly revealed sand. While he was out there, he came across some strange footprints that were larger than the 11-inch coil on the metal detector. The coil is the circular thing on the end of the metal detector that's actually doing the detecting of metal. He estimated the footprints to be 16 to 18 inches long, and they had a wide stride. He tried to match the stride himself, but he couldn't. It was over six feet long. Just for comparison, my husband is about five foot 11, and he has an average stride of about two and a half feet, maybe a little bit longer than two and a half feet, I believe. And if you're wondering why I know how long my husband's stride is, it's just because he teaches the scouts how to estimate distance by knowing the length of their stride and doing the math. That's the only reason why I know. It's not kinky. <laughs> I should just shut up. Oh, where was I? Hmm. Hmm. And there's still something scarier than Bigfoot possibly Bigfoot's cousin called the Nantiac or the or the giant hairy thing. It's not my husband. I'm so glad he doesn't listen to this show. The earliest descriptions of the creature date back to the 1700s. It's over eight feet tall, covered in dark fur, and has sharp claws. In the 1920s, stories began circulating about strange things in the Port Chatham area. Stories about a creature walking on two legs, terrorizing the mining camp in the area. There were also reports of large, full-grown trees being pulled from the ground, then turned upside down and stuck back in the ground with the roots facing the sky. In 1931, there was a mysterious death of a logger named Andrew Kamluck. Kamluck had been hit over the head with a large piece of logging equipment, equipment that was too large and heavy for a human to pick up. When Kamluck's body was found, there was blood on the crane and he was at least 10 feet away from it. It had the appearance that someone had picked it up, hit Kamluck over the head, and then tossed the equipment aside. In the 1940s, things got terrifying. In case something coming, picking up a crane and whacking somebody on the head with it and then tossing it away wasn't terrifying enough. Over the years, three dozen bodies turned up along trails, rivers, and were found floating in the bay. These bodies were badly mangled. In fact, it was more like body parts. 
the bodies were basically torn to shreds. The local workers left their jobs and refused to come back to work. They finally returned when the cannery promised to have heavily armed guards protecting the camp around the clock. People would see a giant bipedal creature in the woods and hunters often came across large 18-inch footprints. In 1949, the villagers got tired of the constant attacks from the Nantioch, so they left the town completely. By 1950-51, to 51, the post office there closed. One woman, who is Sugpiak, said as a child she was told never to go out on a foggy day, because that's when Nantioch was walking around, and you could run into him and never know what he might do. She told a story about her brother, who went up to the lake. He was tying off his skiff when he started smelling something really bad in the bushes. So he went over and moved the branches and saw a large humanoid creature. It looked like a man, but was covered in hair. Her brother took off running. Some people swear that the Nantioch is led by the spirit of a woman dressed in flowing black clothes who materializes out of the cliffs and whales, summoning the Nantioch. And on that note, we're going to bring an end to our Alaska Triangle series and an end to this episode. Remember, you can find Lurk wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and at our website, lurkpodcast.com. On the website, you can also find links to our social media accounts. Make sure you like or follow us on one of those. I'm most active on Facebook and Instagram. And I will be posting some photos and videos pertaining to this episode. If you prefer to listen to your podcast on YouTube, you can find us there also, so make sure you subscribe. As a reminder, the Whitehall New York Sasquatch Festival is coming up September 24th, so if you're in the area, consider coming out and saying hi. And until next time, watch out for the Nantioch and keep lurking.